Welcome to the Events Podcast, where we talk each week with event professionals about how they plan, promote, and run their events. Whether you're running small meetups or large conferences, exhibitions, and concerts, we focus on finding tips that you can use straight away. The podcast is sponsored by EventsFrame, that's our ticketing system. We developed the system after running 300 plus events a year with my company Apps Events, and we had an endless search for an amazing ticketing system. We've tried everything, and we've designed EventsFrame to be super easy to use with the best discounts there. So please give it a go. It's got a flat low fee, and we guarantee you're going to love it. If you email me at dan at eventsframe.com with the subject line podcast, I'm going to give you a special discount code. So on to today's interview. This interview was a really, really good one. It was with a guy called Johnny FD, and he's something of a superstar in the digital nomad community. He's, he's based in Chiang Mai, although he travels a lot. He runs two really cool podcasts, Travel Like a Boss and Invest Like a Boss. He, he likes the phrase like a boss, as you can tell. I love Invest Like a Boss. It's him and a guy called Sam Marks, where they talk about how they invest their money. And Johnny's interesting because he's a really open guy. He shares his how much money he makes and everything online. And he's launched the Nomad Summit. And that's a conference originally and, and still in Chiang Mai, but he also runs a, a Las Vegas version. And he gets digital nomads from, across, from around the world to come to this event. It's amazing. He's grown it really quickly as well to 400 plus people. So he gives a lot of tips about how he grew it, how he grew his audience through podcasting and social media, how he ran the first event. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So I'd love to pass you on now to the interview with Johnny FD. Hello and welcome to the events podcast. Today I'm really, really delighted to be talking to Johnny FD. He's a guy I've been following online for quite a while. He's something of a of a kingpin in the digital nomad scene. He's pretty well known. He's got a lot of YouTube content. Really, really open guy in terms of he shares everything, including what he's earning and where he is. And he's running a, a couple of really big events in Vegas and Chiang Mai. So I want to get into his background and talk a bit about the event. So welcome, Johnny. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I appreciate you having me on the show. Cool, man. So, John, I mean, just in case people don't know who you are, could you talk a bit about your background? Because it's pretty interesting how you sort of came to be a digital nomad and doing this kind of, what, what was uh, like, you know, what was sort of how it started? Yeah, it was completely by accident. In 2008, I was living in, in California. I grew up there and I went to Thailand on a trip. I read the four-hour work week, fell in love with scuba diving. It was my first time doing it and just decided to quit my corporate job, move to Thailand and basically, you know, just live at least the first part of the four-hour work week, just living cheaply. It's amazing. It wasn't that. until, yeah. The four-hour work week is like, for me, it was, it's the one book that changed my life completely. And I think, this, I think so many people we probably both know, it's like the one book that has had an effect on my life. Even though, you know, you can't really follow the steps in it, but it just, I think it inspires you to do, to do certain things. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of those things, those books where if you take action on it, it can change your life. And it definitely has mine. Unfortunately, I didn't think I can ever own a business or make money, you know, owning a business while traveling. So I freelanced, you know, when I first came, I was working as a dive master, just a yeah. basically an underwater guide, did that for four years, uh, ended up writing a book about it. And that's how I got into online business and I, how I discovered other you know, digital nomads. And back then we didn't even call ourselves that. We called ourselves location independent entrepreneurs, which is really hard to write. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny you became a dive guide. I, I used to be a, a snowboard instructor and it's, it's a similar kind of job, you know, it's like, 
you, 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 you want to hang out in a cool place and that's kind of, that's like the coolest job in, in the place really. You know, you get to meet people, they, you're doing a, spot, a sporting activity and it's, it's, kind of, it's a good first step to go somewhere, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree. And, you know, this was, you know, 2008 to 2013 and it wasn't until then that I really started meeting other people who actually earned, you know, a living online, were able to, to travel. And it was really hard to get information. It was really hard to meet people. It was really difficult to, you know, to really connect. And I guess luckily I had found the Dynamite Circle. And I, and I know you had uh, you had someone from the DC on recently, right? Yeah, that's right. Catalina, who actually, she, runs, she actually runs the conferences for, for Dan and Ian now. So it was really good to talk to her, yeah. Yeah, so back then in you know, 2013, it was, it was even more underground. It was pretty small. And we would have, I would basically go to their meetups because it was the only entrepreneur meetup that I can find in, in Chiang Mai yeah. at the time. And there maybe would be eight people, maybe 10. And it was great, but it was, you know, it was kind of a closed community. Uh, you had to, it wasn't designed for, for newbies. You know, you had to have a business already. Uh, you had to pay a, a pretty hefty, um, yeah. you know, monthly membership. It wasn't until I think, I don't even remember who put it on, but somebody finally decided to just say, hey, let's all meet at this one bar. It was the first time there was, you know, 30, 40, you know, people, you know, in one place. And it was amazing. And the only problem with it was that it was loud. <laughs> there was rock music playing. Yeah. You know, it was dark and there was tons of alcohol flowing. So it was amazing to finally meet, you know, 40 plus other like-minded people who were working online while traveling. But it was just really hard to network or talk about anything important. And I remember, you know, having a couple drinks and just thinking, how amazing would it be if we had this same meetup, but instead of at a loud bar with you know loud music, somebody should just rent a conference room and we should just learn from each other. Yeah, that's a great way to start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nobody else thought that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember saying this idea to a few people and I think that at least the first four people said, no, it's, it was a bad idea or they're like, yeah, nobody's, you know, who's, who are going to get to pay for the room? Um, it's expensive. I'm sure it's hard. You know, now this, you know, these casual meetups are better. You know, people like having drinks. This is easier. But I was so in my mind, I was, I was really so dead set on doing this. I just kept asking people until one person finally said, yeah, that's a good idea. And I went ahead and did it. You know, it's interesting because like, I think when I, in, earlier in my entrepreneurial career, like if, if when I was in that same situation you were in, I, I came up with an idea, I'll ask five people and they all said it was a terrible idea. I, I would just abandon it. Now I'm like, it's probably a good idea. I mean, that's, that's the way my mind works because I'm thinking, well, most people don't want to do this, which means it's, there's a higher barrier to entry, so it could be a good idea. You know, it's funny how, how you sort of change over the years, you know. Yeah, that's actually really good advice where if it's something that you know deep down, you know, in your heart that it'll benefit people, it's something that isn't being done now, but it, it would help, you know, it'd be helpful. But the excuses people had were, you know, that's too much effort or it's going to be too expensive or it's going to be too difficult. That's kind of the that big light bulb moment of, yeah, that's great. That, that's why it hasn't been done yet, but yeah. there's value in it. That's cool. So. You had to meet up with 40, 50 people. You, you had a light bulb to, to you know, rent a venue. What, what was the next steps? Like, I guess, obviously, you're pretty busy at the time, I guess. And we've kind of skipped some stuff, but I know you were doing a lot of drop shipping and stuff. So you had kind of a, 
a fairly big ongoing business at this point. Plus you were blogging and vlogging and everything. Yeah. So I've, I've always blogged my whole life, you know, about random topics. Most of those blogs, I let them lapse because, you know, I was too cheap to pay the $10 a year to, <laughs> to keep them going. Uh, but it's just been my way of kind of just sharing knowledge. You know, I, I went through my whole life really just unsure about how to do anything. You know, my, my parents are immigrants. They barely spoke English. So they were never able to teach me, you know, anything about business, you know, about dating, about, you know, diet or lifestyle. So whatever it was, I had to figure it out myself. And because it was so difficult to find good information, I would want to share it afterwards. And that's why I would, I blogged pretty much, you know, before blogging was even a thing, you know, I used to have a Zanga page, you know, which is a company that yeah, now shut down. Zanga. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, at the time I was running a dropshipping business and I was making decent money, you know, I was making, I think maybe three or $4,000 a month yep. while living in China, you know, in Chiang Mai, it's, it's really good, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, you can and, live pretty well in like a thousand, well, you can live a good life on a thousand dollars a month, pretty much it seems yeah. in Chiang Mai. Yeah. And actually, no, maybe, maybe then it was, a, maybe it was a little bit less, but I was making at least two grand a month and it was enough where I can afford to take a risk. You know, um, I didn't want to take too big of a risk. So I, I shopped around and I looked for the cheapest seminar room I can find. Yeah. You know, and I couldn't afford a super nice hotel, but I can afford a mid range hotel that had space <laughs> that was going to yeah. be kind of empty anyways. And I remember just negotiating with them. And, you know, normally when you rent a, a seminar package, they want a guaranteed number of people. They want to include, you know, two um, coffee breaks and yeah. lunch, you know, things like flip charts and projectors and all that. And I remember saying to them, I don't know how many people are going to come. You know, hopefully yeah. we'll have 50 people, but maybe we can shoot for 100. And I said, well, you know, I can't I don't think we can afford lunch. <laughs> can we just have water? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I was just really just trying to bootstrap it. And I remember they had me put down a thousand dollar deposit under, you know, my personal credit card. And I was thinking, oh my God, like what if I just lost out on this money? You know, and yeah. you, know, the, you know, I had just started out. So it was still, you know, a pretty sizable yeah, amount yeah. of money for me. And I just announced and said, hey, you guys, you know, um, I rented a conference room. We're going to have this event. Who wants to speak and who wants to attend? <laughs> Now at this point, let's let's take a look at a situation. What kind of what kind of list did you have like from your blog and stuff? How many like did you have a decent sized email list or was it just like a local Facebook group of of people in Chiang Mai? What was your kind of network at this point? I mean, I definitely had my blog followers, but most of them didn't live in Chiang Mai. Most of them lived yeah. you know, somewhere else in the world, and they were just kind of following along to to see how I was doing. And you know, and the more I think about it, I think at the time I was really just starting out. You know, I just started making money. So I, I relied on local Facebook groups. And I think at that time, there was no digital nomad Facebook group in Chiang Mai. Wow. And I, I don't know why none of us thought of it. It didn't come until about a year later when my buddy Dan, this guy I met, he, he had just moved to Chiang Mai. And he was astonished. He said, why is there no group? And all of us kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, I don't know. And he said, OK, I'll make one. And now that group has like 13,000 people in wow. it. And it just came from you know, us chatting about it and he was smart enough to pull the trigger. Great. So, so, you, so you booked a room. I mean, obviously, I mean, this is a thing with, with conference venues, you know, I mean, obviously you always have to down, to minimize the risk. I mean, I know if people ask me for advice, I normally say if you can get away with it in your first year of an event, 
try to use something free, you know, either a co-working space or there's a lot of options, you know, or something, something where you've, you've got less risk. A hotel, though, is always the coolest place. People like to come to a hotel and it's just a case of, you know, normally they have a, a delegate day rate, so like $50 a person a day or something. And that's, that's the thing you've got to get over is like, you know, it's limiting your downside. And it sounds like, you, you know, you did that. You got them to be pretty flexible on skipping lunch and giving you more flexibility than you'd normally get. Yeah, I actually remember putting up the event and I used Eventbrite at the time. Yep. I no longer use them because their, their fee, their per transaction fees are so high and yep. they're just, there's better platforms out there. Uh, now I use Ticket Tailor. Yep. But at the time I made, I basically set a donation ticket. I said, you know, I don't know what this is worth. <laughs> I don't know what you're willing to pay, but if you can try to donate 25 bucks or more, that'll help us cover the cost of the room. Do you remember what the cost of a room was? Do you remember what the total cost was to bucket? Oh, I, 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 I want to try to remember what it ended up being. I want to say, I think it was somewhere between 600 to $1,000 or something that first year. Yep. But that was just for the room rental. Uh, what we ended up doing was I set basically categories. I said, okay, if we can get up to $500, then we can have a projector or something. Uh-huh. And I think if we can get to $700, we can have coffee. And then if we can get to $1,000, we can in- include lunch. And did you, did you tell people this is what you're doing? Did, were yeah. You, oh, that's cool. So you were totally open. Yeah. This is your, like, your philosophy in general, like, isn't it? Just being totally open. Yeah. I've always been super, super transparent about everything. And, you know, it's... I mean, man, it's, it's been so long now. It's been five years since that first event. But I remember just around 100 people showed up. We ended up having coffee. I think we – I'm not – I don't think lunch was included that first year just because we didn't have the budget for it. But I we, we broke even. You know, we had we, we were able to have a um, – you know, the projector and the mic and everything. So it was, it was a, like a decent setup. And I think everybody was really happy just to have it. And, but it definitely wasn't a – it definitely wasn't a luxury event and definitely wasn't a money-making event. Right. And, and so um, how did you promote the event apart from like, obviously you've got a blog and you put this on the, I imagine on the Chiang Mai Facebook group and any, any, any other things you did to promote your first event? No, I, I don't think there was a Facebook group back then. All right, this is pre-Facebook, right? Yeah, I don't, maybe there was, but it was, it was, it was hard. It was local word of mouth. I put, I definitely posted on Facebook somewhere. I don't remember specifically if the, if the group was, was active back then. Yeah. Or if it was, it was just starting out. So it was... It wasn't easy, but at the same time, it was because there's nothing like it happening. Yeah, that's yeah. You you had a first mover advantage. You were early. So how many people? What what did? How did it end up? How many people came to the first event? Just around a hundred people came, and I that's made the great. fatal mistake of, you know, I don't and, and it wasn't even selling hundred tickets because a lot of them were kind of just earmarked tickets, yeah. you know, in hopes that people would give a donation at the door. I made a huge mistake, and I I basically said we're sold out because we had a hundred people who RSVP'd not realizing that, you know, especially for something that people don't pay for money for upfront, but really for any event, there's always going to be 10% of the people who just can't make it. You know, they end up, you know, having to work, they get sick or they have something other to do. They forget about it or, you know, they're out of town that morning of when we realized we had all these seats still, still open, you know, made an announcement. Yeah. And you know, I I do think Facebook was around then because I think that's where I posted it is, you know, just say, Hey, we have, you know, 10 seats open, you know, first comes first serves. And you know, I think 10 people showed up. It's interesting. You know, I've, um, I wrote a blog post about this, how to get people to come to your, your free events. I mean, I, cause I run over 300 events a year and 
it's like if you do a free event, it's exponentially different how many people won't, won't turn up. I mean, I, for me, I'd say it's anywhere between 10 and even th- the worst case was probably 30% of people didn't turn up for a completely free event. For a paid event, very small. I mean, always under 10%. I mean, maybe, maybe even less than five typically. You know, it's, it's just so much worse with free events. I always say to people, even if you charge a small amount, people will come. It's a strange psychology. If you paid $10, you'll still, oh, well, I've paid $10. I might as well at least go and check it out for an hour or two, you know? It's, it's, it's funny with that, how, how, how many people don't turn up when it's free. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and I think after that first year, we started selling tickets in advance. We, you know, we knew what the value uh, you know, was of the event. We knew that if we can, you know, charge a reasonable amount, we can, you know, we can start including things like lunch. We can rent a bigger conference room. The first year we had really low ceilings. I mean, I, I remember looking at photos of it, you know, and even people while they're sitting down, it looked like we had low ceilings. So, so how did, <clears throat> did, were you like, were you like MC yourself? How did you structure the day? What, what I've always liked about the Nomad Summit is our tagline from the beginning has been for digital nomads by digital nomads. And, you know, regardless if you're a location independent entrepreneur, if you're a remote worker, freelancer, really just, you know, anyone who lives this lifestyle, wants to live this lifestyle, participates. So from day one, our staff has always been volunteer. You know, it's never been profit driven. Uh, Actually, most of our events always kind of basically broke even. Uh, And even the ones that eventually had money left over, that went straight to the deposit for the next year. So it's never been you know, a big profit business. I would love for it to be in the future. You know, I would love, you know, to get to, you know, Tony Robbins level and have that be my full-time job. But even if it never does, it's always been something that I really enjoy doing. People, people love attending it. And it's definitely opened a lot of other doors, like opportunity wise or business wise, just from the connections I've made. Sure. It's, there's an interesting psychology in events. I've, I've noted a lot where like, and, and for you, I completely believe you because you're the most transparent guy in the world when you say, you know, it, it's, you haven't made much money, you've reinvested it. But, but, I, but I, it's interesting. I know people making a lot of money from events. You should check out, I did an interview a couple of weeks ago with, with a broker and, and he only brokers the sale of events businesses, you know, which go for, for millions, you know, multi-million dollars. People are terrified to say they make money from events, you know, because, you know, they think, it, they think that people are not going to want to come. I, I don't see it like that. I think you can have a community event that's fun and you can still make, make a profit out of it. But, but, it, yeah, but definitely. people don't want to say that. It's strange. Well, also at the end of the day, I think if we're always kind of pandering to the people who want everything to be free, those are people who normally have very negative mindsets that you don't really want to attract anyways. And, and it's funny because we've held back the prices for so long. I mean, for, you know, I mean, so the first year it was it was donation based and we were just trying to get twenty five dollars from people, which yeah. was really nothing. You know. And then the next year, I think we started tickets at I think we started them at forty nine dollars or something. You know, and then it slowly went up. And the third year, seventy nine dollar tickets up to ninety nine. And then last year was our first year we broke a hundred dollars. A full day event that includes lunch, two snack breaks, coffee, you know, yeah. uh, like great presentations. But it was so hard getting over that hump because I knew that the event is worth so much more. And sure. not only you know in my mind, but people that attended would always say, always comment, I can't believe how cheap it was. It's, it was you know such good value, but it was still so hard as an organizer to ask for more money. Yeah. And this is the first year where we started pre-sale tickets at or above a hundred dollars. Wow. And now it's a three-day event, and it's almost honestly ridiculous to to have that fear, but it's there. I think a lot of people 
are really, really scared of charging what something is worth, even though the people that come are more than happy to pay it. That's true. Uh, so just, I'd love to finish off the, the first event. So did you, um, you MCD, you, you got some great community people to speak. I guess you, you, did you do some kind of social party or did you do parties before and after? Cause it's always a big part of an event is to have the social side of it. How did you structure yeah. that? So the first year there was none of that. It was just the <laughs> event. You know? And did and people self-organize and, and head to a pub or something? A little bit. I mean, I would say, you know, the, the first year, it was such a small community anyways that everyone afterwards like, hey, you want to have dinner? <laughs> and just yeah, yeah. people kind of just did their own thing. The next year, we had a pool party the next day, which we thought would be like a fun addition. And then the next year, we added an after party and a pool party. And then last, then starting last year, we started adding a pre-registration day just because it got so out of hand. You know, last year, we had 400 people attend and trying to check all of them in in the morning would have been impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, did a lot of you know networking, like basically like a networking mixer the, the day before. Then we had the main conference day. Then we had the after party. Then the next day a pool party, and then we just started experimenting with workshops as well the day after. So now it's actually Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It's you know it's a four day event now. It's interesting. It depends on your audience, doesn't it? Because with the digital, I mean, I'm I'm kind of dipping in and out of the digital nomad scenes. You know, I, I live in Prague. Recently had a had a baby, so I don't travel as much. Although we're actually taking the four month old baby to Taiwan next month, so that's going to be an interesting experience. I always I always traveled a lot. You know, I always spent up to half of the year traveling. So I was always fascinated by the digital nomad scene because, like, as someone who was kind of on the fringes of it. But I think that kind of crowd has, they have a lot more flexibility to stay for a longer event because they, you know, they tend to base themselves in Chiang Mai for whatever, two months, three months, six months. And they've got a much more flexible schedule. So they'll hang around for like, I've noticed it with with Dynamite Circle, people will hang around for like a month doing things, you know. Yeah. And actually this time we're making it even longer where, you know, we're, we're encouraging everyone to stay for those four days, but then to just relax in Chiang Mai for a week. You know, either do some work to hang out, do activities. And then the Friday after, so the next, basically a week after the event, we're going to do a reunion down on one of the Thai islands. That's cool. Uh, and the reason why, well, the first the inspiration for it was I was speaker on the Nomad Cruise, which is a, a great event put on, put on by a guy named Johannes last year. The cruise ended in Athens, and but he had the great idea of having a reunion down on the Santorini Islands You know, five days later. And it was just really nice. It was just like a nice way for people to get, you know, encourage people to stay in Athens longer instead of just going home. And then to see one of the really beautiful islands, you know, and just meet up again. Yeah, the Nomad Crew, just as, as a side point, that's, I'd love to chat to him actually. But it's interesting because from what I understand, cruise ships, like, they obviously have to get out and back to the, to the place where the crew starts. So you can book the cruise ship very cheaply to go there. And, and, he, and he kind of got these cheap deals you know, where, where normally they would, the ship would be empty and, and, and made a nomad cruise. Is that right? The digital nomads? Yeah, exactly. So uh, really smart event. And actually, that, that's another example of not listening to people when they say it's a bad idea. Because even me, I, I <laughs> thought it was a terrible idea when he first started it. Yeah. Because it's a bunch of digital nomads, you know, people who work online, going on a ship for 12 days without usable internet <laughs> yeah and i was like are you joking this is the worst idea i've ever heard in my life yeah but it's but, actually the best idea because they probably actually going to speak to each other yeah so it, <laughs> it ended up being great i mean first off they kind of figured out a little bit of the wi-fi situation it's still not good but it's you know people kind of figured out ways around it but if anything it's just a nice way to unplug for 12 days and learn from each other you know do offline activities you know people still work if they need to but it's, it ended up being a really great event. I would say it's one of the, the best run events I've been to. Cool. 
So, so let's jump back into your story. You've, you've done year one. How, what was the sort of transition to Grovis? Were you thinking it's going to be an annual event? And I'd like to get into how, you know, how you started doing the Vegas event and, and, and how you grew, grew the whole thing generally. Because five years is, is good. You know? like you've, you've stuck with it. It's an established event. It's not, you know, some things come and go, but you've obviously clearly stuck with this as a, as a regular event. Yeah, so you know, right away, you know, I thought we should definitely have it be an annual event. I love having it in Chiang Mai. That's where I was born. That's kind of the mecca for for digital nomads around the world. It's a great excuse for people to come to Chiang Mai, especially in January, which is high season. Uh, we used to have it in February, kind of with the end of February, which is actually a better time because it's less busy then. Um, but the problem is in March or starting kind of end of February or March, there's something called the burning season where, where the weather gets bad, the air quality gets really bad. And the problem was a lot of people would freak out and they would start leaving early. People would start leaving you know, a month before just because you know they're thinking like where I should, where I should go next. And it was hurting ticket sales just because, you know, people are like, oh, I really want to go. But yeah. everyone was leaving now for Saigon or something. So we were forced to move the the event up um, by a whole month. Now it's like in peak, peak, you know, high season for, for nomads, but also for, for, for tourists. It's grown. Basically, the first year we had 100 people. The next year we had 200 or two, maybe 250. The next year we had 300 something. And then last year was our biggest year at 400. I knew it was a good trajectory of growing, but at the same time, I knew one of the things holding us back uh, that a whole year passes between events, and you know, people kind of lose the momentum, people kind of forget about it. You know, people, it's hard to sell tickets for an event that's a year later, especially to the nomad crowd where they don't really know where they're going to be. Yeah, and that's when we decided to do a kind of a mid-annual event somewhere else in the world and we chose Las Vegas. Yeah, which is the conference center of the world pretty much. Now I'm curious about Vegas because I've, I've never run an event there, but I, I know a lot of people who have. I, I know Rob and Mike very, very well from, from MicroConf and stuff. And everyone says it's a completely different animal uh, in Vegas dealing with the hotels in terms of they charge you for everything. It's very, it's unionized, it's rigid. There's, there's very little room for negotiation. I'm, I'm not sure if that was your experience or not. Yeah, it's, it's really annoying. <laughs> uh, Chiang Mai really easy here. Depends on the hotel as well, but you know, you basically you meet you meet with them. <laughs> they take you to lunch, and you tell them what you need. They negotiate. They kind of make a good deal for you. You know, everybody's happy. It's win-win. In Vegas, you know, you have to go through this like request for proposal process. You have to fill all these forms. You have to send things back and forth. And then, I mean, first, it's way more expensive. Uh, yep. But second, it's hard to get the things you want, even like really simple things. Like I expect when I rent a seminar room to have a basic projector setup, a mic for presenter, like electricity, yep. <laughs> Wi-Fi, and none of that is included. And, you know, you, you say, OK, well, you know, can we have I mean, and I would get angry. I would say, like, look, I'm, I told you what we need. We're doing PowerPoint presentations. Of course, we need a screen. Like, yeah, of course we need a projector for that screen. Yes, of course we need electricity for that projector for that screen. Yeah. And they would just start tacking things on. And the very worst is that the fact that everything is unionized. Yeah. I know unions originally had a good idea, you know, so people can, can be treated fairly. And I think in a lot of other countries, you know, unions are kind of a win-win for everyone. Sure. But in the U.S., Unions are just greedy and it's it's bad for everyone because they're losing business for people. They're kind of just this mob run greedy business where, you know, if it wasn't for politicians lobbying and, you know, unions having power, they wouldn't exist. And 
I purposely went and like, you know, went through tons of hotels and every time, you know, they would say, no, no, we have to use this union company for the, for the audio visual. I would say, I would say, no, like I'm going to go with someone else. I'm going to find someone who has an in-house staff. And luckily I finally found one venue that had an in-house staff. I don't know how they got around it, (laughs) but I just refused to, to deal with, you know, these crappy union extortionists. It's funny. I, I know I was at Education Technology, a big trade show in Philadelphia. They've got a huge convention center there. And I was talking to a friend of mine who was exhibiting. And I remember there, it was, you couldn't even unplug something. from the, If you were exhibiting, you had a stand. You couldn't unplug something. And someone did. And the union shut the stand down. They said, no, you, like, you have to call the union representative to unplug anything. Like, you couldn't touch the socket to plug your like phone charger in or anything. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it, it really is ridiculous. And it's unfortunate because I think, you know, they kind of have people by the ball, so people have to do it, you know, especially if you want your, your event in Vegas. Luckily, you know, we are kind of worldwide. We can, you know, we can move the event wherever we want. I just like Vegas because people can fly there easily. It's somewhere yeah. people want to go anyways. You know, there's a lot of hotels. It's relatively cheap. It's, it's a cool experience, especially if you've... I love Vegas for like two or three days. Then I have to get out of town, you know, but it's a great place to, to spend a few days for sure. Yeah, definitely agree. So we're probably going to do Vegas again mid-2019. But after that, depending, depending on how it goes, you know, we might think about moving in somewhere else. Now, was that a big risk? Did you have to put a lot of money down to, to do the Vegas event? Was, oh, yeah. Was that a bit scary? That was a huge risk. I mean, and that's kind of where all the, the money went. So, you know, our, our last big conference in Chiang Mai, you know, it had a, it had a good profit, you know, but $10,000 of it had to go to the Vegas event as a non-refundable down payment. Another 10000 the other, well, the, the remaining $10,000 of it had to go secure the room for the next uh, Chiang Mai event. And even after, you know, working, you know, four months in the Vegas event and then another four months for the Chiang Mai event, we ended up having a net profit of $1,700 <laughs> for the, our last event. So but back to your monthly income when you started working, basically. So that's good. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, like for, I mean, I don't even know what, what that would be per hour worked, but it would probably be way less than minimum wage. Yeah. I'm curious about, so what, what would you say? I mean, you run these two pretty big events. Like what, how if you're going to guess, what would you say, how much time you work in, in a year on your events? Like how much actually hours would you say or days you spend working on these events? Uh, I mean, it's, it's really hard to say because a lot of things, you know, are kind of just here and there. But I would say for the three months leading up to the event, it ends up being 20 hours a week. You know, yeah. I still have to run my other businesses, but at least half my time is you know, organizing the next event. And do you have, apart from the volunteers, do you have any like VAs or full-time staff working on the events? Yeah. So starting, we've always had volunteers and, you know, we still use a lot of volunteers for, for check-in. They get a free uh, place, free place and stuff. Yeah. So they, they get a free ticket, you know, uh, to enter. We always have volunteer photographers. We normally try to hire our videographers because I know how much work it is to, you know, to film and edit. So those people, you know, we always pay for. We normally pay for one professional photographer that has like a shoot list. And then we normally have a couple volunteer photographers where we give them artistic freedom and say, just enjoy the event and take, you know, take a bunch of photos, but it's up to you. Like there's no, you know, don't treat it like a job, you know, enjoy the event. Uh, But as far as paid staff, uh, starting so in the in the beginning, I always had you know, like partners for the, for the year. Uh, my first year it was a girl named Ka- uh, Katrin Folkadent, I believe that's her last name. She's yeah. from Austria, 
And, you know, it was my idea to, to do the conference. You know, I put the money up for it, you know, uh, but she would be basically my co-organizer for the year. And she helped a lot. She got our first sponsor. She got Buffer. And that helped pay for some of the for the venue. And then the next two years, I used a guy named Cody. Uh, the second year, he was great. You know, he he worked super hard. He brought on uh, a couple of, you know great sponsors. It was fantastic. So the next year, you know, I reached out to him and said, "Hey, let's let's do it again." You know, that, that was amazing. And the third year, it just it went like really south. You know, it was really crazy where he started trying to take over the event. You know, he started putting things like under his name. And I'm like, yeah. "Hey, like like just you know relax. Like you're." Like, like, and, and I think, I think there was a lot happening in his life. I you kind of just let it slide. But then at, I remember the day after the event ended, I kind of just like casually mentioned to him, like, like, Hey, I'm glad, so glad it's over. It just, it became just a nightmare. Like, you know, and so luckily that, that ended. And last year I decided, you know, what, I'm never partnering with someone again. Uh, let's, I'm just going to hire someone. It's so, funny, but that's the funny yeah. thing about events is like, you have to be like almost obsessive about detail and, and, and you like, you can't, you know, when I've, I've worked with people who try to kind of come along to an event and, and have a really good fun and enjoy it, I'm, I'm, I always kind of get a bit annoyed because like, unless you obsess about every little detail, you know, it's almost like you can't enjoy your own party. And I don't think you enjoy your own event as you, you enjoy it, but, but you have to really be so on top of everything, you know, and, 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 oh, and, and that's what makes people have a good experience, you know, and, and if you don't, they, they don't have a good experience, I, I, know, I think. Yeah. Well, w- one of the funny things was uh, my one of my goals last year was to be able to finally eat the food at my own event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, cause I normally, you know, you spend all these months planning the menus, but then you get so busy that you hardly get to eat. It's true. So last year I hired two girls, Steph and Kara, to be the event organizer to kind of take care of the, you know, kind of day to day. And they were fantastic. They were really amazing. Uh, and it really paid off for them too. Part of the deal was, you know, they offered to to organize the event for like a pretty small fee, but they because they wanted to learn how to create the event, you know, because they wanted to create their own, their own uh, events company. Sure. And it was, I mean, first, you know, from my point of view, it was, it was amazing having, you know, two, two professionals take care of most of the things and I was actually able to just to stand around and during breaks and, you know, enjoy the food and just talk to people and enjoy the event. And then it paid off for them because uh, just a few days ago, they announced that their new event called Tokenomics, it's a blockchain event, uh, ended up getting acquired by a blockchain incubator for an undisclosed amount, but I'm sure it was, it was quite a bit of money. That's very and cool. that event was basically, I mean, if you look at photos of it, it looked very similar to the Nomad Summit uh, that they helped uh, put on for me because they were able to use the same venues, the same, same contacts, you know, just from all the things that they learned from helping me with mine. That, that's a great general lesson, I think, for people. Like, if you work with people who who are on the open, you can give them something like you, you could show them how to run an event. They could take it to the next level. That, that's the best kind of partnership, you know, because they, you know, they've, they're really going to help you because they really want to learn from you, you know, and because they, they're on the way up. Yeah, definitely. And the only problem with the way the events are in Chiang Mai now is it seems like the Nomad Summit has paved the way of finding, you know, new unique venues. And then after people see the events there, they're like, Oh, this, this location is great. Let's use it for our event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like it ends up looking, they all end up looking exactly the same. I remember looking at photos 
thinking it was the Nomad Summit. And I was like, oh no, this is an SEO event or this is the blockchain event because you know we're using the same photographers, we're using the same venues, we're using the same stages and layouts. So this year we're actually leveling up again and we're you know we're moving into a bigger, nicer hotel called the Shangri-La. Wow, and that's great. just to kind of differentiate ourselves, yeah. Cool. So look, Johnny, that, that, that's amazing. Just a couple of quick questions. I'm just looking at your website. What, what did you actually build your, is it a WordPress site? It looks really cool. I, I, love, I love the video you got looping at the top. What, what did you build this with? Uh, on WordPress uh, with Thrive Themes. Yeah. Uh, and what it is, is one of my, I don't, I don't want to call a co-organizer because she's more of the back-end organizer, but one of my, kind of like my right-hand gal for the year, uh, Alexandria, she helped with the last event. She was actually an attendee uh, of the Nomad Summit in Chiang Mai, I think two, I think last year, two years ago. And then, this Passive Vegas event, she was one of my co-organizers, uh, and then she's on board again. And she used to work for Thrive Themes, so she knows WordPress, you know, fr- front and back. So she she's been super helpful. Interesting, yeah. I've just as a general thing, I've I've gone through so many different CMSs, and you know, I, I've got a couple of WordPress sites. It's some people just love it, you know. It's a kind of love it or hate it with WordPress, isn't it? Some people just can't stand it. Some people just want everything on WordPress. It's kind of a love hate relationship where. I want my site built on WordPress, but I don't want to be the one building it. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. Hey, Johnny, a couple of things. You mentioned sponsors. Like, how um, obviously there's you know the two ways you make money from an event are, are attendee tickets and sponsors. Have you have you grown that over the years? You've got quite a few sponsors now. Yeah, it's been really really good. I mean, it's it's kind of difficult with sponsors because it's you never really know what to charge. You know, because obviously you want you know you want to charge enough so then. You can ha- like you basically want to charge enough so you have exactly three sponsors or whatever the max amount of sponsors you you know you want. For us, it's three because that's kind of the room that we want to have at our event and our banners. So the the main sponsors can kind of get enough exposure. We have time to bring them on stage, things like that. But at the same time, you know, you never want to leave money on the table because you know that they paid too little. You, you're gonna, you know, you could have done more for the event. You know, you could have had a better after party. You could have had you know better food or better venues. So it's been kind of hit or miss um, trying to figure out like the pricing because we want it to be win-win for everyone. You know, we want to make sure they get maximum exposure and they get a good ROI. But at the same time, it is really difficult to calculate that because, you know, most people aren't clicking the actual links we send in the email and social media posts. What it is is they they see that sponsor over and over, especially because we start selling tickets, you know, four months in advance. Yep. We film all the talks. So we put in, you know, all the talks for free on, on YouTube. So... I know that our, you know, our sponsors that keep coming back every year, they know they're, you know, they're getting value from it eventually, you know, even if it's, you know, not like a direct link click. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, what I found with sponsors is the, the larger company, the larger the company you deal with, the more they're not as focused on specific sales from the event. You know, when I've dealt with really small companies, you know, they want to get three sales from the event, you know, cause, cause they, you know, they've invested whatever, one, two, three, whatever, $4,000. Um, bigger companies, you know, they, they, they're looking for general exposure. You know, it's, it's interesting. As I've kind of gone up the food chain in terms of sponsors, it, it's a different dynamic. You know, they're looking more for brand awareness and things like that. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, they're also thinking more of like the long, bigger picture. Yeah. Um, you know, but I it, think when you're, when you're a small company, it's, it's, it, I understand it's kind of hard, you know, not to have a ROI within a month. When you're a big company, it's okay if you get the ROI in a year or two. Exactly, exactly. Cool. Hey, Johnny, final question. Like how, um, how, your events, how do you think they've built, how do you think they've contributed to building your profile and getting you more well-known and, and getting you into other business opportunities? 
Well, you know, one funny thing is a lot of people don't know I'm, I'm the founder of the Nomad Summit. Interesting. People just think I, a lot of people think I'm just the speaker uh, at one or the, you know, uh, I guess if they attend. Uh, you know, they, they find out there or they, yeah. maybe they even sometimes assume I'm just the host. Uh, but even as the speaker, you know, and I guess I can, I can guarantee myself a speaking slot, yeah. uh, cause I, you know, I, because it's, it's my conference, uh, people like just from that, you know, people, you know, reached out saying, Hey, I see, you know, see that you're, you know, you're speaking at the summit. Uh, can I get you on my podcast or can I get you on this? Uh, and then actually, you know, hosting the event. A lot of it is just being able to reach out to really successful people, you know, asking them if the, if they can come speak at, you know, at the you know, at the summit, or having them reach out to me, applying to speak, and getting to know them, you know, from that that position. Yeah, definitely. That's um, it's, it's I guess it's like anything that puts you out there, like doing a podcast or doing an event. It's um, it's easy. People are always gonna even if they say no, they're still gonna reply to you. You know, whereas you know, if if you're people are busy and 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 having an event means you know, it, it's easier to get to know people. Definitely. I, I found that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, also, you know, allows me access to, you know, the 400 people who come, they can get to know me in person, you know, versus, you know, just online, which is very different. I, th I think that's kind of the, one of the big benefits of live events in person. People are really, really friendly. People are positive, optimistic. People who paid to go to an event are always going to be better caliber and you know, eventually more successful than people who only go to free events or only hang out online. It's true. And I think, you know, that that's why the whole event space is booming right now is because people are increasingly isolated. You know, they've got their headphones on and their MacBook Pro and they're just working away solo and they want to meet people. You know, they want an excuse to get together. And I think that's part of the reason why this whole space is, is booming so much. Yeah. So two tips kind of on, you know, that we didn't mention, um, but you know, how I kind of build up the event as well yeah. is in between events. One thing I started doing was we started hosting a free weekly mini event. We call it the okay. Nomad Coffee Club. And it's, you know, and it, we, we have a deal with a coffee shop where as long as people, you know, order a drink, uh, we can use the venue. And in the beginning, it was actually really hard to even convince them <laughs> to let us do it. You know, yeah. so I would just drive around on a Friday afternoon and look for empty coffee shops and say, Hey, uh, you know, a bunch of us going to show up next Friday. Is that okay? <clears throat> and the first week we would not have a projector, not have a mic. We would just show up and order 40 cups of coffee and, you know, and we would just take over the shop and then we would come back the next week, then the next week. And by usually by the third week, the coffee shop owner is like, Hey, you know, um, is there anything we can do to, to make your life easier? And we're like, yeah, it'd be nice if we had a microphone. And then the next week, we're like, well, it'd be nice if we had a projector. So we've now, you know, basically built up multiple coffee shops in Chiang Mai that would normally be completely empty on a Friday. And now they're packed every day because really cool. people know the venue, people like the venue, and they come back Monday through Friday. You know, that, that's a great approach. And I I've done similar things and you want, you want to know the only place that that approach doesn't work is, is America. Like America drives me nuts. Like I've done so many, like most places, like, you know, if you bring a bunch of people to a bar or a cafe, they're, they're really pleased. Like in America, typically the bars are like, right, I'll, I'll call up and say, I'm, I'm doing a networking event. I'm going to bring 50 people and they'll be like, right, I want a thousand dollars minimum spend. You've got to give me a thousand dollars. And I'm like, I'm bringing 50 people to your bar, you know, surely you should be just happy and give me a private room and, you know, we're going to buy drinks and stuff. And they're like, no, thousand dollars. It seems to be like every time in America. And, 
I don't, I don't know why it's like that. It's strange, you know, given it's the entrepreneurial yeah. country of the world. I think part of it is, you know, they think of it as a liability. They're like, okay, we, we need to guarantee more staff. We need yeah. to hire these people. You know, and what if you guys don't show up? While I think the way around it is to find a non-corporate place, you know, somewhere like a mom and pop owner. Yeah. That's going to be empty anyways. And literally just show up the first week and just be like, you know what? I'll give you a heads up. Just like, hey, you know, hey, just let you, you know, there's going to be 20 plus of us. And then don't don't wait for not, you know, an answer. Just show up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Look, yeah, so, Johnny, it, it's a real, real privilege to talk. No, people should check out uh, nomadsummit.com, I think is the website, if I'm right. Yeah, nomadsummit.com. It's coming up. January the 18th to the 21st in Chiang Mai. I, I would definitely recommend if you're a digital nomad or even interested in this in this lifestyle to go and check it out. I guess you've got people flying in from, from other countries now. Is that right? Oh, and from like 50 countries. I mean, wow. it's, it's crazy. You know, Americans, Canadians, Australians. I mean, if you guys don't know what a digital nomad is, it's basically people who work online, you know, entrepreneurs that work from coffee shops or lap, your laptop. I'm sure most of your listeners, you know, if, if even if you guys are event organizers, you can you can probably do most of what you do online. So it's a good event to come out to to learn how to, to grow your online business, how to market better, uh, and meet other people who do the same thing. Perfect. Uh, great stuff, Johnny. Anything else you want to mention or promote? Any other links or anything? Yeah, definitely. If you guys like interviews with successful entrepreneurs, especially people who work online, um, who can work from a laptop, uh, check out my podcast. It's called Travel Like a Boss Podcast. Uh, and on a side note, that's also been a great way to kind of pre-vet potential speakers to see if they're willing to be transparent, willing to you know share a lot of value. If they can do that well, then they'll probably make a good speaker. That's a great tip. Johnny, real pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, and all the best with the conference. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you uh, sometime in the future. Definitely, definitely. Do you want to sell more tickets to your amazing events? EventsFrame Event Ticketing has been built to minimize the amount of time it takes to buy a ticket. Result? You sell more tickets. Check out eventsframe.com 